I suppose that most of you ladies have at one time or another prepared a meal which was fairly easy to prepare. It was delicious when it came time to eat it. And then there are other times when you have said, this is a little more difficult meal to prepare. It took you a whole lot longer to prepare it. It may not have tasted quite as well as you wanted it to taste, but you said, I need to make sure that I do something, that I cover all the meals. Well, there's a similarity to that to preachers. There are some lessons that you can sit down and you can easily craft them and you can easily put them together and you can be able to present them in such a way everybody says, oh, I like that. And then there's others that require a whole lot more time. They're more difficult to make sure that they are received well. That is, you have to make sure people are able to digest them. And I will tell you that two years ago, I planned on preaching a series of lessons on the minor prophets. And I knew immediately, I wanted to deal with Hosea. I thought there was a great lesson there in talking about how God is hurt when we are unfaithful to Him. I knew I wanted to preach on Jonah because Jonah is always one that the children identify with. But now I'm left with two of them, Zephaniah and Zechariah. And I will tell you that that is a challenge. Not as easy to prepare, not as easy to make it acceptable in the sense of you're able to to accept it and to be able to understand the message of it and walk away and feel satisfied. But I believe there are some great lessons in these last two And Lord willing, tonight we're going to talk about Zephaniah. And if you can find it in your Bible, you get extra credit. So it's, uh, uh, I will tell you, it's the fourth book from the end of the Old Testament. And uh, if you also don't confuse Zephaniah with Zechariah as well. Let me point out to you that when you look at the minor prophets, it doesn't mean that they're somehow less valuable. They're every bit as valuable as the major prophets are. The only difference between the major and the minor is the length or the material that they cover. And when you think about the minor prophets like Jonah and Nahum, both of them were prophets to Nineveh. Jonah earlier, Nahum later. Both of them wanted evidently the different one's topic. Joel and Zephaniah were both prophets of the day of the Lord. For instance, in Joel 3 and verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And yet, when we go to Zephaniah 1 and verse 14, the first part, the great day of the Lord is near, it is near and it hastens quickly. Same message, just different prophet at a different time. I will tell you that the conditions were grave and the prospects grim. Things didn't look very well. Now, I want us to look at three things, and this is not a complete outline. This is just simply to to gather the main ideas. When you go to chapter 1, you find hopelessness. The people are in peril. You look at all that they're facing and it looks as if there is no possible outcome that's going to be good. 
when you get to chapter 2, there's people in penitence. At least that's what God wants for them. He wants them to be humble. He wants them to submit. I've got to tell you that they didn't always do that. And it'll be not only the nation of Israel or Judah, but all the nations that were around them as well. But then you get to really the latter part of chapter 3, and there's hope. As God looks for a people of promise, and we'll look at that in verses 14 through 20. So if you will, let's put this back in its context. Because in order to understand Zephaniah, you've got to understand the time in which he prophesied and the events that were taking place. Notice with me chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. And you say, okay, you done lost me. All those kings. Let me pull out two names which I think you will immediately recognize. Hezekiah. He was one of the kings. And so Zephaniah is of, to some degree, royal family. It also, if you will notice, it happened during the days of Josiah. That's the boy king. Started reigning when he was eight years old. But it's important to understand that when you put these together, that tells you that he was a contemporary of Jeremiah, one of the, the major prophets who wrote much more about this. And so as we go through, we're going to just grab a point or two from Jeremiah so we understand the time. Let me describe to you the background. There was a wicked king, son of Hezekiah, whose name was Manasseh. Manasseh was about as wicked as you could get. He reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem and couple his wickedness with how long he reigned and Judah just went down the sewer with regards to their spiritual condition. Jeremiah 15, 4, I will hand them over to trouble to tell to all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, what he did in Jerusalem. I could go through to 2 Kings, and I'm not going to read all of this, but to simply bring it to your attention. If you'll look at verse 11, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and he has made Judah to sin with idols. He was an idolater, and he led the people into the middle of idolatry. And if you will notice, he said, because of that, I'm going to have to forsake my people. It's a situation of hopelessness. Judgment was only postponed. It wasn't eliminated, but it was postponed during the days of Jeremiah because, or Josiah because Josiah was a good king. So you have the punishment in the mind. When you get to chapter 1, I want you to look with me now at verses 14 through 18. This is Zephaniah's bringing this to the mind. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men cry out. That is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, 
a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Folks, could you imagine someone using any more adjectives to describe how bad it was going to be? The fortified cities like Jerusalem, those cities were going to be encountering the Babylonian armies coming to destroy them. You keep reading. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Focus, if you will, on verse 17 or verse 18 and uh, the latter part of it and the first part of it. Silver and gold is not going to save them, and the word speedy riddance. The great day of the Lord is coming, and it's coming quickly. What if I were to say to you that God has judged the United States and that it will be coming quickly? It's something that we're all going to have to face, and it's going to be a day of dark gloominess. Most of us would say, I don't want to hear that. The children of Israel did not either. But they had made their choices. He said that it was because of their sin. Whenever you have a person who's a sinner, you've got to point out the sin to them. And here it was. They had worshipped false gods. Look back at the latter part of verse 4 through verse 6. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolaters and pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear by oaths by the Lord, but also swear by Milcom, those who turned back from the following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. It sounds as if people have become pagan idolaters. Sound familiar? People who will partake of and participate in this kind of worship and that kind of worship. They have become spiritually complacent. Now, if I were to pick out some verses which I think we need to hear. In fact, I almost just preach this lesson on specific verses. I want you to listen to verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and will punish the men who are settled in their complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. People settled in their complacency. They're satisfied. The reason why they're satisfied is they don't believe God is going to do anything one way or the other. They don't believe that God is going to punish them with evil. They don't believe God's going to bless them with good. And their minds is, I'll just rock along like I am. You know what really that is? Unbelief. When you and I think God will not punish us, nor God will bless us, and we just remain complacent in what we're doing, we're just really not believing God. So what is the hope? No deliverance. God can't be bought off. You can't buy him off with silver. You can't buy him off with gold. 
And there's no time for change to take place. What Zephaniah's message says is, God said, I'm going to make a speedy riddance of you. It's sort of like that time, you know, when you buy a car and you find out you bought one that was made at 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon or either the one that was made the first thing on Monday morning and you realize you've got a lemon. What do you do with it? You say, I'm tired of that vehicle. I'm getting rid of it. In fact, I'm going to get rid of it quickly. I'm going to go find that car dealer way out of town who I can trade that car off to and get rid of it. God said, I'm going to get a speedy riddance of these people. I'd like for you to compare that some awaiting our day of judgment. There's some people who have exchanged their soul for material things. Matthew 16 verse 26 says, What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I can tell you what people will sell their soul for. Make me a little more money, have a little more fun, let me enjoy this life, and I'll give you my soul. That's what they told the devil. In Luke 16, verses 22 and 23, we learn about the rich man and Lazarus. And we learn that what happens when you have people who say, I want to enjoy it all here, when this life is over, what happens? It says the rich man also died and was buried and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. Of course, he sees Abraham afar off, but he opens his eyes in torments. Folks, one minute after death, you will know whether or not you've traded your soul to the devil or not. There's no time to change when the Lord returns again. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. You won't have an opportunity to make some sort of change because after death is judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. Let's talk about now chapter 2 for just a moment. Wouldn't it be great... If God's rebuke came to a people and they hear the rebuke and they say, okay, God, we've got the point. We've got the message. We've got to change. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff. Before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld His justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. I want you to notice there's three times I bolded the words on the screen. You see those words? Before, before, before. When is the right time for a person to take care of their spiritual condition with God? Well, you'd say, well, before. Many of you in this audience are teachers. When is the right time for a student who is having difficulty in your class 
to come talk to you. After you've already sent out the final grades? No. You want them to talk to you before it gets to a position that you can't fix it. And what God is saying to the children of Israel is, I want you to be humble. I want you to find repentance. But I've got to be honest with you. When I read the book of Zephaniah, I don't see people like that. Just like I didn't see them in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 8, 1 through 6. At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the king, bones of its princes, the bones of its priests, the bones of its prophets, and the bones of its inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves, and they shall spread them before the sun, the moon, and all the hosts of heaven, which they have loved, which they have served, after which they have walked, and which they have sought, and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. And then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem, in a perpetual backsliding, they hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they did not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as a horse rushes to battle. He said, Look at my people. I tried to get them to repent, and they won't repent. They're told to seek righteousness, seek humility. That's the only answer to withstand God's wrath. But it takes real humility on people's part to get them to change, to get them to repent. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. See, folks, I've got to be willing to say, God, I don't know the right way. Let me be guided by your word. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. And so you would think, as Jeremiah understands that, and he puts that before the children of Israel, here's what he says in chapter 6 and verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said... We will not walk in it. Jeremiah 16, 12 and 18, 12. They say, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Verse 12 of chapter 16. Listen, verse 18. And they said, this is hopeless. So we will walk everyone according to our own plans and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. Here's where people get in life. They've got to make a choice. Either they choose to obey God, which means they've got to submit their lives to Him, they've got to change what they're doing, or they say, okay, I'm surrendering my life to God and I'm going to follow the way He suggests or commands me to go. Chapter 2, the judgment on the nations. There's Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Ethiopia, Syria. Let me point out something to you. 
as a Christian, as a child of God in the time of Zephaniah, it's hard to be humble when you live in an arrogant world. It's hard to be humble when you go to work and everybody around you tells you how great they are. Verses 10 and 11. They shall have for their pride, this they shall have for their pride, because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his own place, indeed from all the shores of the nations. You know what's going to happen? Ultimately, as Paul said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They may not do it now, but I guarantee on the day of judgment, every knee will bow. God's people had learned the ways of the people of this world. Zephaniah chapter 3, the first part of that chapter, is directed toward Judah. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city She's not obeyed his voice. She's not received correction. She is not trusted in the Lord. She is not drawn near to her God. You see, the problem is, is the last phrase of verse 4, they have done violence to the law. They don't respect it. Well, I know you're probably thinking, well, boy, that was a depressing lesson. <laughs> you know, darkness, gloom, doom. I told you some are not as easy to prepare and easy to present. But there's hope. Notice with me verses 14 through 20. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem... Do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those of sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you to whom is reproach is a burden. Hold at that time. I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather Those who are driven out, I will appoint praise and fame in every land where you put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back even. At that time, I will gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I return the captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Now, that's hope. That's God saying... You can trust me to bring my will to pass. You see, God knows his plans for good. Verses 5 and 9, the Lord is righteous in his midst, as Brother David read earlier. Verse 9, for then I will restore this people to a pure language that they may call on the name of the Lord, serve him with one accord. You see, God is going to make sure his plans come And there will be a remnant left. That is a small portion to whom God would be able to provide them grace and glory. 
I'm not going to read all of this. I just point you to the fact that God is going to take care of them. What he envisioned was deliverance. Hopelessness, a call for humility, but a glimmer of hope. God's people had failed. That's really the message of Zephaniah. They failed. What will we learn from all of this? A sinful life is a failure. You know, one of the things I've noticed that they've started doing on Facebook, people will make these little short videos and it's called Fail. A person decided they're going to jump over a chair. And they get about halfway over and their toes get caught and they tumble on their face and it says Fail. Somebody's planning to do something else. Fail, fail. What is it to fail spiritually? It's when you and I live a sinful life. Compromising with and copying a pagan world. Folks, if there's anything that I could communicate is that when I study the prophets of old, they keep telling God's people, don't embrace the culture of your day. Stand out and be strong and be faithful regardless of what people around you are doing. Don't get caught in spiritual complacency. Don't be satisfied with who you are. Don't be satisfied with just being able to read and study the book of Acts. Oh, you need to study the book of Acts. You need to know what it says. Don't be satisfied with just saying, okay, now I pretty well got most of the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John under my belt. No. Strive. Give effort. Put diligence into it to be a growing child of God. Psalm 106, verse 35. But they mingle with the Gentiles and they learn their works. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Make sure that you don't let the world pour you into its mold. And hope must be preceded by humility. Could I persuade you tonight to humble your life before God, to say, I'm sorry, God, that I have disappointed you in the way I have lived? I'm sure that if you're not a Christian, you've got to be carrying around a tremendous burden, a weight of the guilt of all those sins. And it almost seems as if there's hopelessness there. And why try now? Oh, but there's, there's hope if you're willing to humble yourself by being obedient to the gospel. And if you're a child of God and you're carrying around burdens, you shouldn't be because you know that burdens are lifted at Calvary. And that it's our Savior that provides the forgiveness of those sins, but I've got to come to Him on His terms. If you need to respond tonight, would you come as we stand and sing?